this is going to be a fun study. It's going to be an exciting study. It's um, some of my friends have said to me, if you need an outline, just hold up your hand. They're passing some more out now. And um, some of my friends have said to me, I can't believe you're going to preach through the book of Revelation. You're going to get in more trouble. And I said, you know, getting in trouble for preaching the Word of God, that's fun. You know, that's what we want to happen. You know, you can get in trouble for a lot of things, but to get in trouble for preaching the Word, that's a very cool experience. And it's because it's a, it's, it's a book that has so much imagery. It has a different type of, of genre of literature. And tonight, I need to give you some background material and challenge you to go home, if you haven't already done so, and go home and read the book of Revelation for yourself. We're going to go through it chapter by chapter. We're not going to get in a hurry. And um, I'm not going to feel like we've got to force something in because of time. Because this is a different kind of book. It's a special book. It's interesting to me that since the year 2000, what is this, 2018, since the year 2000, there have been over 100 movies made about the end of the world. Over 100, that's a lot of movies in a span of 18 years about the end of time and the end of the world. And I think a part of that is because I think it's inherent in human nature whether or not we want to accept it or whether or not we want to believe it. And Ketty, I just saw you and David back there recovered from surgery here on a Wednesday night. Welcome Ketty into church. And David, I'm sorry, welcome both of them into church, but you didn't have surgery, David. So let's give Ketty a hand to welcome and welcome her back tonight. And... Um, it's, I think there's something about us that we just know that um, time is going to end one day. Time as we know it is going to end. And when I watch TV specials about the book of Revelation, whether it's been on the History Channel or Discovery Channel or something like that, it's really bothered me the way they presented Revelation. Because I think they have taken some of the weirdest and most controversial approaches, thank you, Norma, to presenting the book of Revelation, when if you understand the book, the book is all about joy, and the book is all about hope, the book is all about worship, and it does have terrifying images in it. It does have horrifying images in it. We will look at those as we go through the book. But this book is different because of the kind of book that it is. And the terrifying images did not strike fear into the people of God. It struck fear into the people who heard it and who would defy God's word. The book is all about Jesus. It's all about his plan. And it's all about our love and our worship for him. Can you say amen? amen? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, out of respect for the word of the Lord, stand with me tonight, and let me read the first eight verses to you this evening. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. The letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, 
Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God and his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Sounds like Woodland, doesn't it? It just needs to go amen, amen, and amen. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Let me say this. I will stick around after the service each week. If you've got some questions you want to talk about what I presented on each message, I'll be happy to talk with you about those. And I'll say this too. I won't argue with you. I, I will just be happy to talk with you because I know in our church, there are many different denominational backgrounds. There are many of us who come from no church background, some who go to Woodland. This is the only church they've ever known. They came to know Christ here. There are some who came from other religions outside of Christianity who came to know Christ here. There are some that are Lutheran, some that are Episcopalian, some that were Anglican, believe it or not, some that were Roman Catholic, some that were Baptist, Methodist, some that were Pentecostals, some that were Charismatic. We have a very eclectic group of people. And so my prayer in preparing this series of messages has been that you would follow with me as we just look at what the Word of God says, and that we could lay our denominational paradigms aside, and we could lay maybe some of our theological paradigms aside. When I say that, I'm not asking you to lay aside biblical theology, but I'm asking you to lay aside some of those theological paradigms that we try to force Scripture into fitting the theological paradigm that maybe we're most comfortable with. For instance, I grew up in a very dispensational family in a dispensationalist church. I am not a dispensationalist. I came to, to not believe in dispensationalism because of its teaching that God treats people differently. Everybody comes to the cross. Those who were in the Old Testament, they died in faith looking forward to the Messiah coming. And dying for our sins, those of us in the New Testament age, we all look back to what Christ did at Calvary. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, we're all going to come through Calvary. Can you say amen? amen? And so that's what kind of brought me out of dispensationalism. Some of my very dearest friends are post-millennialists. We'll talk about that as we go through the book. Some of my friends are amillennialists, some of my dearest friends. Some of my friends are premillennials. Some of them believe you got to go through the tribulation. Some of them believe you got to go through half the tribulation. Some of them believe that you're going to go in the rapture before the tribulation. It really doesn't matter to me. I don't get caught up on all of that. I believe that he's coming again and I'm going to be ready. Amen. Okay, so I want us to look at what the word says and then we'll draw our conclusions from that. I will be happy to offer to you what I see from these, these verses of Scripture. But it's impossible to read this book and understand it without a little background to the book. 
And so what I'd like to do is take you through some things that I don't normally do this evening, but having been through the book of Genesis together, we spent over two years in the book of Genesis, I think you have a good foundation. And now what I'd like to do is just give you some, some principles for looking at the book of Revelation with. There is the idealist who looks at the book of Revelation, and the idealist reads this book and takes the timeless principles of God, the timeless principles that Revelation teaches. I agree with that. But there are some idealists who believe that's all that the book is about, and they do not believe in a literal second return of Jesus Christ. I can't buy into that because the Bible, the New Testament, and the Old Testament, and the book of Revelation, as I read it, plainly states that Jesus is coming again. I just read it to you just a few minutes ago. Then there's a historist. The historist believes that the Bible, the book of Revelation, gives you a detailed map from the days of Jesus until his return. Now, most people don't buy into that anymore, but that has been a a term, has been a frame that people believe that you could find a specific map, a historic type of view. It's what gave rise to a lot of literature, like 88 Reasons That Jesus Was Going to Come in 1988. The book sold like hotcakes. And when Jesus didn't come in 1988, the entrepreneurial author that he was wrote a sequel, 89 Reasons Why He Was Going to Come in 1989. And of course, the most famous of all of those is the Jehovah's Witnesses that have set and continue to reset and reset dates. And most of us are familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses or JWs as I call them because they have knocked on our doors. And then there's the Preterists. The Preterists read the Revelation as the seven churches would understood it. And I think that's very important to to grasp hold of there, that to understand the book, and I believe the Preterists have a really strong point here, you've got to read it and understand it as the original audience would have understood it. Because if it's futurist, as some people believe that it is, that the events are all to happen in the future, then the book had no meaning at all to those that were living, to those seven churches that received the book of Revelation. And if that's so, then all of the centuries of Christians that have been living, Revelation really meant nothing to them, and the only thing, only people it will mean something to is the people who live in the time that Jesus comes. And that's, by the way, where a lot of dispensationalists fell out. And then there are people like me who we are eclectic. We just simply take the best of all of those views and we look at them and say, there's truth in all of that. And primarily, I'm a mixture of idealist, preterist, and futurist. I do not believe it's a detailed roadmap, but I do believe there's historical things that we can look back in. Then there's another challenge to reading the book of Revelation. Do you understand those, those views that I just pointed out? It's just a really brief summary of that. All right, then there's the real problem that some people come to the book of Revelation with, and that's the symbolism. How many of you have ever read the book and you've gone, what do these awful creatures mean, you know? These beasts rising up out of the ground, 10 horns, 12 horns. You know, what do all the numbers mean? Because numbers are very important. Well, the, the Hebrews and the readers in Eastern Turkey, who these seven churches were all in Eastern Turkey, they would have understood all of this symbolism. A symbolism, it helps if you've read your Old Testament and you have some understanding of the Old Testament. Let me just give you seven things here. Number one, the seven churches understood them as they were written. These are not in your outline. You can capture them if you'd like to, or I'll be happy to send them to you later. Their enemies understood some of them. 
There was no way that a Roman could have read about a city on seven hills and not understood that it was talking about Rome. However, those images, they struck terror into the hearts of the enemies of God because those people understood in that day, they understood apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature was not unique to the Jews. The Greeks had apocalyptics and so did the Romans. I've been to places in Greece when I was preaching and teaching in Greece where there were certain priestess of certain gods that they would breathe where the earth emitted certain gases and they would breathe and then make these ecstatic utterances. They were literally getting high and then making all of this gibberish and people took those as prophecies from the gods. So they understood symbolism, but they didn't understand all of the symbolism was here because so much of this would have been understood only by the people of God, the Jewish people. And you've got to remember the early church was primarily a Jewish church. Never forget that. For the first hundred years, the church was primarily a Jewish church. It was a Jewish-led church. It was a, it was a Jewish-influenced church. And God was doing great things among the Jews And just as a little side note to help you understand this symbolism, it wasn't until the time of Domitian that that the Jews really began to pull back away from the Christians because of the persecution that was coming. Because Christians, Christians could claim to be Jewish. There was a provision in the Old Testament, and that provision still exists today in Judaism, the the godly Gentile, the godly Gentile man that doesn't have to be circumcised, but he can become a part of the Jewish people. There are certain things he can't participate in because he's not been circumcised, but he can be known as the godly Gentile and has an assurance of a place in heaven because he believes in the law and he strives to keep the law and loves the Lord God. And so there are some complicating factors here that having an understanding of the Old Testament will really help you out a lot. Symbols, though, also gave confidence to the people of God because when they read these symbols, they knew that God was saying don't worry, I'm in control. God was being honest and saying, some of you are going to suffer, and some of us may suffer for our faith in Jesus Christ. But they knew in the end, God was in control. These were people who would willingly give their lives. And as a matter of fact, when we get into the seven churches, you're going to read about some of those people who were willing to suffer. It's a slap in the face to North American Christianity because we have made such an acclamation to the world. We want the world's approval. We want the world's comfort because we like living in this world so much that we're not willing to stand up and be different from this world. Friends, these people were willing to die for their faith, and so many Christians today are afraid to witness to their colleagues at work or to share with their neighbors. So many people are not even willing to begin to put God first with their tithes and offerings. Revelation will put you to shame when you begin to read this book as it's meant to be read because this is about passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And those of you that were with me back in the days when we were forming, almost 20 years ago, when we were forming our mission statement, what we were going to be about, of making passionate followers of Christ, we looked at some of these passages from the book of Revelation. Symbols have a timeless nature. You don't forget symbols. What's a good example of that? We do it once a month right here at the church. Communion. Symbols don't lose their power. Hines, you were with me the other day when a lady asked me about this ring on my hand. 
And I was able to tell her, once again, the story of this ring on my hand that a very dear friend of mine who's a jeweler made this for, for me and gave it to me. Uh, when Becky and I had been told we couldn't have children and we were praying and he was one of my prayer partners and he made this ring and he says, I'm making you this ring with this staff of wheat on it because wheat is also a symbol of fertility. He says, I believe that God is going to give you a son. God gave me three sons, thunder, lightning, and tornado. And then one day he gave me sunshine called Amy and everything's been peachy keen since then. But this ring stands as a reminder to me that God is the God of the impossible. And symbols become a comfort to us, and they have a timeless nature, and then they also have emotional power to us as well. These symbols, they connected with the people of God emotionally. Now, Genesis, the book we just completed, it deals with our creation. It deals with our origin. It's why we, for two and a half years, we went through a series that we called Origins because it dealt with our creation. Revelation, though, deals with us as new creations. In Genesis, we discover original sin. In Revelation, we discover the power of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and what it means to be born again. In Genesis, we discover death. In Revelation, we discover eternal life. In Genesis, we discover how the devil came in and tricked and deceived Adam and Eve. And in the book of Revelation, we see how the church, through the power of loving Christ, the, word of, the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, they overcome the wicked one. And so when you read this book, Remember, I kept telling you in the series of Genesis, everything you find in Genesis, you're going to find in the book of Revelation, and why it's such an important book to read. Revelation was written to seven literal churches. How many of you remember AOL's, you've got mail? You've got mail. How many of you saw that movie, You've Got Mail? That's an old one, isn't it? I still haven't seen it. But I can remember clicking on and getting AOL, you got mail, and that little sound. It's illegal. I think they still put it on post, at least they do at home out in the country on those rural post, post boxes that we have, those post office boxes that we put out in front of our houses. It's stamped in the metal. It's illegal to tamper with someone's mailbox. It's illegal to read somebody else's mail. And yet, however, this book is written to seven churches, seven letters, and we get to look in and read their mail, okay? Have you ever had anybody read your mail? You know, sometimes somebody will tell me after church, said, Pastor, you read my mail this morning. I said, I didn't read your mail. The Holy Spirit knew what you needed to hear. He read your mail. But tonight, you and I are beginning a study where we look in on what God is saying to seven little churches and saying to us. And by the way, it's interesting, the order of these letters in which they were delivered, the order is the exact order that a courier would have traveled through Turkey giving these letters. So that's very important to understand. And it's very important to understand the entire book would have been read at one time. And then there would have been exposition and teaching from the book. But the entire book, we don't do that in America anymore. I don't know of anywhere in the church that does that anymore. But I would challenge you, if you've got a, uh, an iPhone or an Android phone that you run with or exercise with, that you put your headphones on and go with a modern translation like the message, which I think, you know, I was very tempted to use the message translation for this, but we primarily use the NLT around here. And we will refer and compare some translations, but listen to the book of Revelation. You can get it for free at Bible.com or Bible, the Version Bible. You can get it for free there and just listen to it in one sitting while you're exercising 
challenging. It won't take you long. Or when you're jogging or when you're driving, listen to the book in one sitting. That's the best way to start with a book, and that's why I ask you tonight to be sure that you read the book. Revelation is also a book that is to be thought about, prayed about, and obeyed. Revelation is a book that is to be thought about, prayed about, and obeyed. It's a book that requires serious thought. It's a book that requires serious reflection. And although I have worked hard and I have worked long most of my life preparing for this, this is my first series to ever do on Revelation. I owe a great deal to mentors and teachers over the years and authors and just having spent time to, to love this book. It would be really easy to come and listen to messages and just walk away. But this will not do you any good unless you take and go home and think about it and pray about it and then make a commitment to obey what God is saying. It's why I said, let's lay aside our denominational paradigms and let's lay aside maybe our theological paradigms and let's read the Bible for what it says. Those of you that have gone through a course that I teach occasionally here at Woodland, how to study your Bible, I've taken you, I've taken you to the back and I've showed you the various Bibles that I've bought over the years with no notes, but they have wide margins. And I read the Bible devotionally without any notes and I make my own notes in my Bible because I don't know of a single biblical author or contributor to a study Bible that would rather you read his notes rather than read the Word of God. And so it's important that we think about them, we pray over them, and then we look at how we can apply them in our lives. We just read this a minute ago, but look at verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So I'm going to get blessed because I'm going to read the whole book to you. I've read you the whole book of Genesis. I've already guaranteed a blessing for reading it. Matter of fact, I almost started this series off by just reading the whole book of Revelation. At one time, I was so greedy for another blessing in my life. But I'm going to be blessed whether you are blessed or not. Okay? So, number two, he blesses all who listens to his message. Wouldn't it be nice if it ended there? And obeys what it says, for the time is near. So it's not enough to listen, but you and I have to obey what it says. And notice what John says, the time is near. John expected Jesus to return in his day. Paul expected Jesus to return in his day. But when it became apparent that they wasn't coming, that Jesus wasn't coming at the time, they didn't give up and say we've been wrong. They left these epistles for us to study. Studying, thinking, and praying about Revelation will give me great confidence. It will give me confidence for whatever the future holds. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, come hell or high water? You know, I don't know about hell right now, but we've experienced some high water, haven't we? <laughs> Matter of fact, we've experienced high water and some of those little holes, what do we call them? Chuck holes look like they could go all the way to the pits of hell, don't they? You know, I, I've been reading, hearing about people bursting tires, and I had to recently have one of Becky's wheels and tires replaced because of a, of a pothole in the road. Uh, you know, right now we're just flooding. Water's everywhere. The ground is saturated. That phrase, come hell or high water, meant serious opposition. But it's this book that has given me the confidence to say to you, you can swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk if you know that you're in the middle of the plan of God. 
And you don't have to be worried about being in the middle. God doesn't hide his will. God reveals his will. If God wants to hide something, pardon my southernness, but you ain't going to find it if he hides it. Sometimes I hide stuff and I can't find it and I hid it myself. Okay? So revelation will give you great confidence for the future. Revelation is interesting in that it has more Old Testament allusions but no lengthy quotations from the Old Testament like the rest of the books of the New Testament have. And so that's an interesting point to me as you study the book. Revelation is full of allusions to the Old Testament. You will find allusions to Ezekiel. You'll find allusions to Isaiah. You will find it to Zechariah. You will find so much in this that if you have been a Bible student and been reading your Bible devotionally year after year, these things are going to come back and you're going to begin to connect dots. And if you haven't, we'll try to help you along the way and maybe even create a small group or two as we go. Now, here's something that's important about understanding the book. It is both apocalyptic and it's prophetic. It's apocalyptic and it's prophetic. And I'll explain that after I read the verse. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant. The word revelation is apocalypse. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listens to his message and obeys what it says, for the time is near. Apocalyptic literature, or the apocalypse, that's what revelation means, is to unveil what has been hidden. It's to unveil symbols. Apocalyptic literature brings about what God plans to do that is going to cause vast upheavals in history. And it's a decisive act of God. These are things you need to know. These are all genres. When you read this book, if you, if you will keep this little definition in mind, God is unveiling things that are being hidden. God is unveiling symbols that will take you back to the books of the Old Testament. But God is also going to move decisively in history. He's going to move decisively, and he's, he's warning the church, churches who need some warning, one in particular that's grown very lukewarm and has grown very comfortable in this world, and you really can't tell much difference from the world, the culture they lived in, and being passionate followers of Christ. He's warning them to repent. And so he's invited, he said, I'm going to do something. Now remember, this letter had meaning to the people that heard it. If it was only written to people in our day who needed a newspaper to predict the events, it had no meaning to all the people who came before us in faith. But that's one of the reasons that we believe in the idealist approach. There are ideas there that are to be looked at, but it's another reason we believe in the historic approach because we know there are things like the great white throne, the futurist approach because we know there are things like the great white throne judgment and the return of Jesus that haven't happened yet. It's revelation because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And revelation literature tends to be theological. It tends to be evangelistic in nature. In other words, it's calling people to Christ. I shared this with somebody yesterday. There is no gospel if there is no sin. There is no good news if there's... This cross means nothing unless we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
This cross means nothing if we are not fallen in our transgressions. If we don't need salvation, then the cross is the ultimate foolishness of a foolish man who hung there. But if what we've studied in the book of Genesis, if what we've studied in our origins is true, and it is, then praise be to God that on Christmas a baby was born, his name was Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the shame of the cross became the victory of the church when Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? It's a call not only to ethics and a right way of living, but it's a call to repent and to turn to Christ. It's apocalyptic in that it demonstrates the freedom of God. God can do whatever he wants to do. And it's always interesting to me that in times of storm or earthquakes or hurricanes, people shake their fist at God. They get mad at God. They say all kinds of things about God. And I just think, you know, that is like a little puppy, you know, trying to fight with a great big old grizzly bear. You know, you just, it doesn't do any good. You'll humble yourself before the Lord. God will do amazing things in your life. Apocalyptic literature, it reveals the very decisiveness of God, but revelation reveals the freedom of you and I to choose. It's the call to repentance. It's the call to right living. It's the call to follow Jesus Christ. And that's why revelation is so important. Because you have a choice. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Joshua said that thousands of years ago. But that principle, you're free to choose. And some of my friends who believe that all of our choices are predetermined and that we have no choice in the matter, and I love them much, but when I go through the Bible, I just don't see that. Even in the book of Revelation, you're being called to make a choice to choose. Now, do I know what God, do I believe that God knows what I'm going to choose? You betcha I do, and that gives me a lot of comfort and hope. Do I believe that God is in control? You betcha I do, but the fact is, God created me as a free moral agent to be able to choose. So it means I've got to respond to Revelation since it was not only written for seven churches in Turkey, it was also written for the church today. It was written for me too. It was written for me too. I've got to respond to it. James chapter 1 and verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. Read it with me. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only... Now, don't just listen to it, do it. And it's what God said he would bless us for if we listened and we did it. James chapter four and verse 17, remember it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Okay, so it's a book I've got to choose to respond to because it was being written for me. Therefore, and I don't normally put a therefore in my outlines, but therefore, being a passionate follower of Christ, and a passionate follower of Christ, if you remember when I preached on this, is a life that is defined by worship. And worship is not just singing songs. It's how we live our lives. Worship is my key to understanding revelation. Being a passionate follower of Christ. If I will worship God, and that's why I want to encourage you as much as possible. I know it's Wednesday evenings. I, I, I was at a meeting today where, you know, the, 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 the main speaker was late and it's Detroit. And I know that there are traffic problems and construction problems. But as much as possible, be here. 
to sing the songs of faith. I had to dash out because I got out here and realized I forgot to put my microphone on. So I had to dash out and, and the thing I wanted more than anything was to sing those songs of faith. And Mark, good choice of songs this evening for us to worship the Lord with because there's something about worshiping God that we open our hearts to him, God opens his heart to us and he says in Psalms 22 that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. And so we can expect to meet with God. Remember what I said. I don't use these words often, but in the message, I, the last two messages I've been doing on marriage, there's this metaphysical thing and there's this transcendent thing. We don't use those words often, but it's important to understand when we gather in church, it's not just you and me. We are in the presence of the Lord. And we can expect his presence as we come in here. So let's read Revelation with adoration and not speculation. Adoration just being another term for worship. Let's read with adoration. Let's don't speculate. I got a phone call last week. Pastor, I, I, I know you're going to be preaching on Revelation, but don't you think that such and such a locust in the book of Revelation, that that's a Black Hawk helicopter? I go, no, I don't. I'll be as honest with you as I was with Senator Inhofe when we, I was in his office, Becky and I was in his office this summer, and a book I read and a book he read, it's a big tome. It's about 800 and between eight and 900 pages long, and I studied it and read it before I went to Ethiopia, and, and he, when he found out, he said, God's so excited. He says, didn't you like that book? I said, I really enjoyed it. You know, I knew what was coming. I said, Lord, don't let him ask. Don't let him ask. And he goes, do you agree with it? I go, no, sir, I don't. And his face, you just, I'm gonna, we're going to be truthful. Let's don't speculate. And he says, why? And I said, because in my opinion, the author does a lot of speculation. And speculation is fine when you're trying to figure out something, when you're trying to reason out something, you're trying to dream or plan and conceptualize something. But when you come to the Word of God, don't speculate. Come and adore Him. Come and worship him and ask the Holy Spirit to help you see revelation in the context of all 66 books of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament together, because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Let's give him another hand of praise. I tell you, I am really, I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm all pumped up. Don't I look like him? No. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Read this sentence with me. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we come and sing and we listen to the word of God, that's worship. But if it stops here, it's counterfeit worship. It's what we take out of here and how we live our lives with our families and we work in our jobs and do life with our neighbors and whatever avocationally we do, that's all a part of worship. Can you say amen? Well, the message of Revelation, let me see if I can just take you through a few points real quickly here. Number one, God is awesome and majestic in the book of Revelation. You can write some of these down or I'll send them to you. Number two, the lamb will, whose sacrifice at Calvary will ultimately bring us complete deliverance. God's judgments are served 
to avenge his people. God's judgments are served to avenge, look at me for just a second. God is in control. And these judgments are not only about his glory, they're to avenge his people. These foolish people that are lopping off the heads of Christians, those people go right into the presence of God and gain a victory and a triumph that you and I will never know if we're not martyrs. We'll know victory and triumph, but we'll never know and wear the martyr's crown like so many that have come before us. Those people that are doing this sort of persecution, whether they're cultured Americans or cultured Russians or whether they're uh, uncultured sadists and terrorists, God will avenge their blood. And you're going to read about a God of wrath as well. But it's all for His glory and for His people. And regardless of how things appear, sin never goes unpunished. God will judge it. And you're going to look at seven churches that are not megachurches. You're going to look at seven churches that are probably not as large as this church. But there are seven churches that God is saying to us, it doesn't matter the size of the church, it doesn't matter the size of the crowd, God can do the impossible through a remnant that choose to worship. How many of you have heard that word before, remnant? That runs through the Bible, remnant theology. It's not the size of the crowd, it's the size of our faith in God. And so it's an important point. It also tells us that there are certain times in history that when we proclaim Christ, we invite persecution. It's interesting to me, most of Billy Graham's persecution did not come from the world. It came from Christians. Sometimes it were racist Christians. Sometimes it were anti-communist Christians who didn't understand that dying for Christ is something worth living for. That's something else you're going to see in the book of Revelation. And you'll discover that his hope, that the hope of his coming far outrange everything else. Well, let me wrap up tonight by just taking you through the next four verses. And if I have time, I'll read this last passage that I've included. Let's talk about, because it's the revelation of Jesus. And I'm just going to make a few comments on this scripture. This letter, excuse me, his word has authority, power, and purpose. That's the purpose of this next verse. His word has authority, power, and purpose. If you'll give me... I think I can finish this in about five more minutes and give us time to come to the altar and pray tonight. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Did you get those authority, power, and purpose? This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who's still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Now, that's an allusion back again to an Old Testament reference to the sevenfold spirit of God. You've got to remember there's a menorah. He's going to talk about lampstands and churches. I mean, there's a menorah which was symbolic of the sevenfold spirit of God. And it's interesting that Jesus is standing in the midst of those lampstands. That's interesting as well. He's saying to a persecuted church, I'm with you. So there's a lot of imagery here that, remember I said it's going to bring up emotion. People who were suffering. And have you, I'm sure you've been there. I know I've been there where you felt like God was a thousand miles away. If God was really with me, why is this happening? And now this revelation of Jesus, he's with you. He's among his Holy Spirit. Revelation is very Trinitarian, although it doesn't, you know, go through explicitly teaching Trinitarian theology. It's there. From Jesus Christ, he's a faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Notice the difference between the Gospels. You're starting to see a transition from the, the servant to the master. 
to the owner, to the creator of the universe, going back to Genesis, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever. Amen. Look, now these were things that the church would say. He comes with the clouds of heaven. It's not coming in the clouds. That's important. You know, I, I don't have time to, in the series to, to take every little detail, but there are little things, if you'll pick up, the Hebrew people would call that just like that. You and I, we think he's coming in the clouds. That's not what the Greek says. And by the way, Revelation is written in Greek. Greek speaking people understood this. He's coming with the, he's coming with the Shekinah glory of God. That's what they're talking about. You remember how the cloud was with the tabernacle and with the ark and the temple? He's coming with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. Jesus is the beginning and the end of all things. He, is the, he created it all. It had its origin in him. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So you see some imagery there. Go to the next verses. Now John, John is serving as secretary. There's this, John is on this island called Patmos. And Patmos, the Romans, I believe because of his age, he was an elderly man. He's probably close to 90 years old by now. And rather than put him to death, I believe, and again, if I say I believe, you're free to disagree with me, but I really do believe this. I think they probably put John on Patmos because Patmos wasn't just a penal colony. Patmos was a place that people could come and visit. John couldn't leave the island, but people could come and visit. And it was only 40 or 50 miles by sea. And so people would often come to the island. The island had a gymnasium. I don't know that a 90-year-old man was going to the gym and working out, but I hope if I live to be 90, I'm still going to the gym and working out. Amen? So it's got a gym. It's also got a temple there to the goddess Diana. I don't believe he ever went there. But here's John, this aged, revered, and respected man, rather than being executed, and tradition says they tried to execute John and they couldn't kill him. But he was exiled to this island where people could come and see him. They could bring him supplies if they wanted to. And John was serving more or less as a secretary and writing down what the Lord had told him. Although John is, we call John the author of this book, you must never forget God is the author of the entire Bible. Holy men of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, gave us the word. So it's important that you track with that. It's why it's different. So I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom. Again, huge statement. John is saying, and I've lied, it's five minutes up. You feel free to leave if you need to because I am going to call us to prayer in just a few minutes, but I, I want to get through this. Here's John, this great, he has walked with Jesus. He has held, he has laid his head on Jesus' chest. He's a revered and respected man. And he goes, I'm your brother. He doesn't power up. He doesn't amp up. I'm your partner in suffering in God's kingdom and in patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day. And I was worshiping in the spirit. It was, it was on, not Saturday, it's 
there was a, a tradition in, in the ancient church they called the Sabbath, the, excuse me, Sunday, they called it the eighth day, the new creation. They called, it was, that's the reason that the church, early church never fasted on Sunday. It's why I ask you in our 40-day fast, don't fast on Sunday. So we, we, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and that phrase can mean different things. That doesn't mean he was necessarily out of his mind. He knew where he was at, he knew what, but he was worshiping God in spirit and in truth. He was worshiping God. He was spirit-filled. He probably still prayed in the spirit every day. Remember, he was there on the day of Pentecost. Here was this man worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, and he says, suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it says, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands or menorahs, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, revined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6? But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. John, write down what you've seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me give you about Jesus quickly in closing, and then we'll pick up with this next week. What you're seeing here on Jesus, the long robe, that's the symbol of the master, the creator. I almost hesitate to use this phrase because it was a cartoon, but he really is the master of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. The long sash... Remember, these people have understood this. You and I read it, we go, what does this mean? The golden sash, that represents the perfection and the purity of the rule of a king. His head and his hair, that represents the symbol of the glory of God. You're looking at the risen Christ, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory all about him. That phrase may not be familiar to a lot of you, but it was something that... I found myself early in my ministry, and I still pray over this church, Lord, let this Shekinah glory of God. I know the Holy Spirit abides in every one of us, and I know many of us have been baptized marvelously in the Holy Spirit, but there's something about the presence of God, the glory of God, and you can never take what I'm going to tell you to the bank. You can never take stuff like this to the bank. I can tell you only one time, when I was praying and really seeking God, and it, was in a, it wasn't this church, but I was seeking, praying in, in another church that I was serving in, and all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and I looked, and it was like this cloud had descended. It may have been my intense imagination, but I can tell you that I was overwhelmed with total and complete awe. I can tell you one other time that that happened to me, and that was when Becky and I were dating, and we were... 
at friends of ours house, her name was Nettie Parham, and she had, Nettie had invited several pastors over. She was a very respected woman of God down south, and she invited several pastors over to meet me, and Becky had, was doing a children's revival in their church, and um, I remember talking and sitting there, and all of a sudden, it was like somebody took a radio and turned it down low. I could hear people talking, but I just couldn't hear them anymore, and then you can't take this to the bank. But for me, it was something. You can't build doctrine on this, but for me, it was something. It was like a cloud descended upon Becky, and the Lord spoke to me and says, this is my daughter. You treat her like that always. I have never forgotten that. And last week while I was praying over this message, that came back to me. You can't take that to the bank. You can't take, build doctrine on that. But what's in the Bible, you can build doctrine upon. And you need to understand something. There is more going on here tonight than you and I being in this room. If that's all that you think is going on, you're wasting your time. We are in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand of praise tonight. The eyes of flame and fire are the symbol of his warmth, his tenderness, but also penetrating discernment and insight. I mean, for believers, we want him to look in our hearts. It's the reason we sing songs like, Search Me, O Lord. We sing those songs because we want him to search our hearts. But we know when he searches our heart, it's not to find fault with us, but it's that revelation. It's to call us to make a choice to follow him passionately. And sometimes we may be fade off the path a little or we get our heads turned and he comes back with those penetrating eyes and reminds us of his great love and a better plan for our lives. The bronze feet are the symbol of his sufferings. That's feet, he was seeing a symbol here. I, I don't know that Jesus has, I don't think what he's saying is that Jesus has literal bronze feet, but when he saw Jesus appearing to him, he understood bronze came about through the heating of metal and, and the fiery furnace and God become man. And he suffered for us at Calvary. He descended to the depths of hell and he took the keys of death and hell. He conquered the grave. He conquered death for us. And what you're seeing here is the victory of Christ. And then you are the symbol of his death and resurrection. You're seeing the voice like the mighty ocean. God's word is alive and it's active. When he says his voice was like the mighty ocean, I love, I think it's the new American that uses like a waterfall. And I find that even more refreshing. But it's, it's alive. It's living water for us. And then his mouth, the two-edged sword, that just symbolizes the symbol of power to slash and slay. That God will slash and slay his enemies. You can choose to rebel against him, but there will come a time where all of us will give an accounting to God for how we've lived our lives. It's one of the reasons that every month in our board, almost every month in our board meeting, I take time to teach a leadership lesson. I call it leadership leverage. But the leadership lessons I teach are different than what you're going to get in a productivity course, they're different than what you're going to get in a, a course that you would go to on how to be a leader in a corporate culture. They'll work in a corporate culture. They'll work in a productivity course. But I'm investing scripture into our leaders so that they know how to do spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare is not about being weird. You know, it's not about trying to find a demon under every rock. Spiritual warfare is about how do we pray? How do we war against the powers of this world? How do we pray for the victory and see that come through? 
That's the reason the Bible says in that context of spiritual warfare, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. So Revelation, as I said at the beginning, it's all book all about hope. It's a book all about truth. It's not a book meant to strike terror into the hearts of the followers of Christ. I guess if you're trying to live a double standard life, it will strike terror into you. But it's a book about Jesus and what it will be like, not only for us to worship him now, we're going to see, we're going to see a series parallel. I think that's correct grammar. Can a series be parallel? Yeah, we're gonna see a series parallel of judgments. They don't happen sequentially, they all happen together. And we're gonna see how at the end of each of those judgments, there's praise to God with the exception of one, We're going to see at the end of, there's going to be this divine upheaval, this upheaval that God brings. It's only going to be all about avenging the elect and the glory of God and for our good. And we're going to understand worship in a way we've never understood it. And my prayer is that when you come to church on Sunday and Wednesday night, that you come ready to enter and sing, not songs and not words, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord. And then when we come on midweek service, we take time. If you have time, I know you have busy schedules tomorrow, but to take our notes and kneel down and pray over them. We're going to meet with Jesus while we study the book of Revelation. Amen? So grab your notes and come and join me tonight, and let's come to this altar, and let's kneel in his presence for just a few minutes. And if you need to leave, please don't feel bad about doing so. But if you have time, I believe it'll be a blessing to you. Mark, lead us in that. That's a beautiful course. Worship and adore you Bowing down before you Songs of praise singing Hallelujah's ringing, hallelujah, 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 amen. Hallelujah.
bow in your presence tonight. And I thank you right now that there is an anointing that comes from heaven according to the book of 1 John given to each of us to help us understand and to apply the word of God to our lives. So I pray that we will approach this book worshipfully, confidently, but humbly depending upon you. God, I thank you for all pastors and preachers and teachers that have come before us. And I ask you that you will help us this evening that we will not try to impose upon the book but allow the book to expose our hearts. Oh, Jesus, that there will be this fearless faith, this undying love and commitment birthed in our hearts, this confident expectation to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Would you thank him now? God's going to help you read. He's going to bless you as you read and listen and apply. Just expect the blessings of God for coming to learn and to study this book. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. God gives only good things to his church. I pray, Lord, that you will deliver us from speculation as we come to these symbols. I pray that, Lord, when we read some of these terrifying things, Oh, Lord, we will intercede for our lost friends like never before. Break the chains that bind so many families, Lord. Remove the blinders and the scales from their eyes and open their eyes to see the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Oh, God, wherever you have placed us, make us salt and light. Let something about our lives make our friends thirsty, thirsty for you. And may the light of Jesus warm their hearts, O Lord, and bring hope to them. Would you do something as we begin to study this book, O Lord, and let a freshness from heaven flow down upon our church. A freshness that will not only encourage us, but a freshness, O Lord, of seeing lost people born again. You are enthroned upon the praises of your people. Give us the heart of Jesus for our community, Lord. Give us the heart of Jesus for the poor and for the rich. Give us the heart of Jesus, Lord, for those who turn their backs upon you, that we still love them like you did the rich young ruler. Give us the heart of Jesus, Lord, for those who come like Mary Magdalene, Lord. Oh, tormented by the devils of this world. 
And grant to your church, not silver and gold, but grant us the power, O oh Lord, to see people healed and people delivered, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, flow, flow, flow. You stand in the midst of this church. You stand in the midst of this church, O oh Lord. Your spirit has free reign here. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Would you make a personal commitment to the Lord as you read and study this book and say, Lord, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. It's an old hymn we used to sing that says, just trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's going to be some timeless, eternal principles you're going to gain from this book, not just promises of the Lord's return, but you're going to gain principles of life, principles of success and victory, principles that will cause you to spit hell of the eye because you know our God reigns. You're going to discover joy. You're going to discover satisfaction, but only if you decide to obey. Blessed be the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord, God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. And verse says, Father in heaven, how I love you, how I magnify your name above all the earth. May your kingdom be exalted in our praises. Jesus, that's our prayer for this series. God, have your way. Bless your church and give us the assurance as we leave this place. He who stands in the midst of the lampstands goes with us wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. If you've got any questions or anything you'd like to talk about, I'll be here and be happy to talk with you about them. Good night.